Hi, I'm Lindsay Tauber of Help Around, and I'm happy to welcome you to a specialty patient podcast with your host, Ishai Knobel. All right, so here we are on uh, the specialty patient podcast. Uh, I'm Ishai, co-founder and CEO of Help Around, and today I have the one and only Brian Haney. Uh, Brian uh, is uh, VP of Client Solutions with ConnectiveRx. Uh, he has focused on patient support for the last dozen years from both perspectives of uh, the patient support vendors, as well as the pharma side uh, going through the vendor selection process. So really excited uh, to have you with us today, Brian. Welcome. Thank you, Shai. Glad to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hopefully you got a bit of a break uh, over the past few weeks. Yeah, I did. So it was nice to, to spend a little time with, uh, with friends and family or as many friends as you could in this in this day and age. Exactly. So uh, kind of in the midst of Armageddon, uh, having a bit of a break. <laughs> right. Awesome. Awesome. So, so Brian, um, t- tell us a little bit about what, what you did today, uh, what you focused on, uh, you know, your background clearly is from uh, patient support, but we live in very special times. Uh, a lot of things are changing yeah, more than we would like sometimes. And I know a lot of the, the, uh, the people who are listening to us right now are spending time thinking about, well, how do I you know, launch my next drug? How do I support patients uh, on the path of therapy? Um, and what is changing as a result of COVID? Um, so give me just kind of the highlight. What, what do you think are kind of the three ways that COVID impacted uh, pharma? Sure. Yeah. So it impacted pharma in a lot of ways, but if I sort of think about the things that are probably top of mind, you know, first and foremost, you've got patients who weren't visiting physicians' offices, which you know we all did for a variety of you know health and safety reasons. But where that impacted uh, pharma in a big way was if you think about patients going into a physician's office to get a, administered a physician-administered medication of some kind. Uh, there was quite a bit of uh, drop-off in certain types of medications and really then a push in some areas for patients and physicians to look for more self-administered options, right, just to kind of keep the patient safe. So that whole shift of, you know, where you might have gone to a doctor's office for uh, an administered asthma treatment, for example, now looking for a self-administered asthma treatment uh, to, to help you along that path. So I think that dynamic has changed a lot. And know, has led to a lot of of different sorts of uh, drugs being more prevalent in the marketplace. And really, I think as pharma is looking to their their pipelines and their commercialization strategies, those medications that are self-administered may have uh, an advantage in some cases. You know, if clinical uh, and safety is sort of equal, uh, not uh, putting a patient in potentially harm's way or, or that patient having to make a risk assessment, do I need to go into the physician's office to get this medication done? I think you know, could be it could be a big impact. It was a big impact in 2020, and you know will be for the foreseeable 2021 as well. I think related to that, then you've also have the pharma reps and that in-person visits to the HCPs already starting to decline. Just in, you know, starting to you know as as more practices become hospital-based and more hospital-based types of rules in terms of access are put in place, that restriction became even greater. To, uh, went down to almost zero, right? So so reps being able to go into physician office, educate them clinically about a medication really um, went by the wayside in, in many cases. And so pharma was looking for and continues to look for a variety of ways to 
provide you know, clinical information to physicians about their medication, more so than simply their brand.com slash HTTP website. So using things like sort of EHR-based communication, be able to push messages to the physician at the point of prescribing so they can really understand not only about the medication, but maybe about even patient support programs that are, that are related to that as well. And then I think the third thing is just in this you know, environment, lots of people have been um, have lost their jobs and they're, they're in financial uh, distress. Uh, there's a lot more need for patient support, patient financial assistance. Uh, and so you know, that is going to continue to be uh, a big need in 2021 as well. And so just making sure that uh, pharma has the sort of the latest and greatest data on kind of what that uninsured or underinsured population number looks like. What is that going to do to their budgets? Because that could have a huge impact on, you know, sort of what they have from a copay budget perspective, what they may want to budget from a patient assistance program perspective. So all of that having, you know, gross net budget, other sorts of considerations, you know, I don't see sort of a, a light at the end of the tunnel right now in terms of all of those folks who've been uh, displaced, put in unemployed, finding employment back and insured, becoming insured again, it's just going to be a tough time. And so pharma has played a great role in helping out those patients, but there's just more patients who need more assistance than ever before. And I think that's going to continue. So, so you mentioned, uh, so you're talking about, you know, kind of planning the budget for maybe uh, bigger patient assistant programs, uh, better, more assistance to patients because so many people are losing their, their jobs. Is this, is there also some, are there some structural changes uh, that uh, in terms of these programs that uh, pharma should keep in mind uh, when they think about affordability. Uh, there are there have been some big changes over the past year in the copay environment, uh, and and uh, and again more people need this assistance. Uh, so, what are some of the big changes in the space of affordability that you saw in the past year, and how do you see pharma preparing? Uh, for the next year, for 2021, to really support patients in a different way uh, than they did before. Yeah, so so there's been a lot of uh, noise out of sort of from a from a regulatory perspective and CMS perspective on where and what you know patient assistance programs, commercially copay insur- insurance programs, what that means in terms of impact to gross to net pricing, what the impact is going to be from a pharmaceutical manufacturer perspective. Nothing really finalized yet, and they've sort of kicked that can down the road, but certainly that's a great concern because these are programs today that don't count against uh, that, that calculation. And if they do, that's, that's a huge impact. So what do you do to position patients to really you know, avoid that situation and really help farm along the way? Because certainly these are great programs. You also saw the you know, United Healthcare issue of trying to push the accumulators into the medical benefit side and really you know, almost turning physicians into you know, sheriffs, if you will, to say, if, if you come across these programs, you got to let us know. Obviously, there was a lot of pushback in those programs, and uh, but but those things like accumulators and maximizers are still things that we need to, to sort of, you know, take a look at and, and see what, you know, what is the right way to support that. Certainly, everybody wants to, you know, provide patients with support. We just need to think about sort of new ways of doing so. Um, you know, the old ways of Patients providing things like you know their benefits and reimbursement and sending them into uh, a centralized hub to then reassess. Certainly, that's the that's the model today. But you know, in a in a world where you know patients do everything via mobile, right? How do you how do you then create a way for a patient to use mobile to not only uh, transact a process, right, to send receipts to get reimbursed back, 
but maybe we use mobile to provide reimbursement back to the patients, right? So you think about sort of direct-to-patient payments uh, as an option where appropriate. I think that's going to become an even bigger trend in 2021, and folks talking about that in 2020 and certainly some earlier, uh, but I think uh, all of these things, these confluence of forces are going to force us to think about really new models uh, to not only get uh, access and information and, and, and financial assistance to patients kind of where they are, but do so in, in models that are, are going to continue to evolve. So if you're not working with a partner who's on top of sort of the regulatory world and kind of the latest and greatest trends, you need to be because uh, all of this is changing rapidly and it's sort of in a whips, whipsaw fashion, excuse me, kind of going back and forth between extremes. Uh, and you're going to want to know kind of what are the risks that are involved with really both or any approaches you have. And, and I think that's becoming even greater. A greater concern is these programs were always seen as benefit to patient. Now they have a, a risk component, which is a little larger than before. And, and pharma is looking to understand what that risk uh, is going to mean for their, for their bottom line. And how high would you rank this in terms of urgency out there for pharma companies uh, in terms of, you know, what you see in your in your customer base and, uh, and beyond? I think it's a high urgency and maybe one of the higher priorities because it's one of the bigger lines of spend, the bigger budget areas. And now if it has an impact to your pricing, your best price, you know, that's a big deal. Right? I mean, that, that's, that's really understating it. And so everything you do in terms of what your budgets are, what your calculations of who could be included or not, maybe you restrict the criteria to reduce the number of patients to then help you from a budgetary perspective, but now you've got more patients than ever who need that help. And so what do you do to kind of bridge that gap or can you bridge that gap, right? And so those are the, the real world considerations that are a lot more prevalent today. So yeah, you've got you know forces that are pulling you to say, you really need to think about your budgets because now your budgets uh, have different impacts than they could have had before. Uh, but now you have more patients who are going to want to have access to that budget than ever before. And so how do you make those sort of two sides meet? Uh, and that's only going to increase. And really, if I think about sort of where um, pharma is going, that's got to be one of their top priorities because that is one of the things today that has probably the biggest impact to them. Yeah. And, and historically, we've seen uh, that uh, utilization of pharma programs has been pretty low. Uh, and, and, right. and, and now, so basically, you know, pharma needs to really, really think, uh, you know, how do we not just put the right program in place, but as you said, meet the patient where they are, uh, because that's also yep. going to be important with HCP visits decreasing. Uh, so how do you reach the patient where the patient is? Because the patient is most likely not going as much to the HCP office. Uh, so right. we can't rely on the HCP to uh, to sign up the patient uh, as much to afford different affordability programs, but but that's really yeah. the big uh, the big kind of trend. Uh, I think is meeting the patient where they are is is getting new meanings and becoming uh, more and more uh, urgent. Sounds like uh, for the coming year. It is. And you think about things like patient assistance programs, which in many cases are HCP driven. So the way pharma has set up the program is, you know, the physician fills out the form on behalf of the patient, sends that in, and then you try to get the patient signature. You know, we're seeing models where you're creating that patient assistance program application as a process via mobile, then triggering a call to the physician and saying your patient has signed up, they've been approved through the criteria. And now we need a prescription so that we can you know, fulfill this, this PAP request. 
there's just different ways to think about the model and you can't just rely on what worked for you last year or certainly two or three years ago because the dynamics of the marketplace are just different. And in a case where the physician in many cases was one of the primary educators of the patient about these programs in general, if the patient doesn't have access to that physician anymore or now it's a, a phone-based conversation and it may be less clear for the patient in terms of what's occurring, you're going to need to have additional or other sort of channels or resources to really help bridge that gap. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and it sounds also, you know, this year is going to be changing, you know, how pharma, so pharma allowed over the past year, uh, a lot of pharmaceutical manufacturers, you know, lost the opportunity to come and learn about these things from, uh, from industry events. Right. So kind of coming yeah. to conferences, sitting and listening, meeting other people, comparing notes has become uh, much more of a, you know, deliberate effort on, uh, on brand manager, yeah. patient services professionals uh, part. Um, do you see anything changing this, this coming year? Uh, so how, is, how can pharma plan to learn best practices over the coming year? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so, you know, I've been a part of, uh, a lot of conferences over the years, you know, speaking to conferences, you know, moderating conferences, and you know, was at a, an in-person conference in February of last year, which seems like a, an eon ago, uh, and then had a series of, of virtual conferences. Uh, and I, what I think is, you know, the model of someone sitting like we are sitting here and sitting through a full day's worth of, of content is probably not realistic. I think our attention spans are one, not what they used to be, and that's probably always been the case. But two, just you know, you would spend time sort of going in and out of conferences, and when you or when you weren't in a conference, you would spend time in the hallway, getting coffee, speaking to colleagues, speaking to other folks, and, and exchanging a lot of ideas. So the idea that you can replicate that entire model and just take your eight hours of in-person content from a seminar and put it online probably not realistic in terms of getting sort of the buy-in. So, so what I've seen work well is, and what I, you know, if you had a uh, eight conference uh, slots, let's say, rather than having a full day of eight hours, break it into sort of eight one-hour sessions over eight weeks, right? So you give sort of bite-sized chunks, yep. uh, more absorbable from a, from a pharma perspective, really much more impactful. And then what I've seen work well in, in many cases is the, the whole chat functionality, open that in up so they can ask questions specifically providing all of that chat notes back to the audience so that they can kind of see that string of, of conversations. But then if you can also follow up what we, like we're doing here uh, with some further content, allow people to have Q&A that maybe you didn't have time in that hour slot to answer, that you're going to go through the process of actually answering that and addressing that. So I think, one, I would encourage pharma to continue to look at the, 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 the events, the, the, the seminars that are out there uh, and attend those. And I also know just from our perspective on the vendor side, you know, we are more aggressive in promoting and really trying to go out to pharma to let them know, hey, we've got something new, we've got some innovator, hey, I've been thinking about your program, have you considered X, Y, or Z? You know, there was always a, a need to do that, but I think that's, that uh, cycle has been accelerated uh, because certainly, you know, pharma is also not, you know, they're not in the office for the most part. They've got a lot more capacity, I'd say, because they're not, you know, in their car for an hour getting through Boston traffic to get to yep, get yep. to Cambridge, <laughs> right? So, so they're, I find them much more responsive, um, and so the whole speed of business has sort of kicked up, and and we've got to sort of meet that new reality. And I think educating them 
in more bite-sized chunks and ha making those chunks very flexible of where they want to go to their day is really what the model needs to go. So I'll be very interested, you know, like a Symbia is moving their conference to October next year, I think within the hopes of that making it in person. Uh, but it'll be interesting how conferences sort of go back into that mode and you know, are the expectations going to change? Because I think you, know, you go to a conference to learn, to network, do a lot of things. Uh, and I think we've got to then break it up into ways that's much more digestible for, for the audience. Yeah. And also, you know, the Sambia also was a, you know, a, a great place for uh, holding uh, large meetings and presentations. And yeah. then people end up going there and not having not seeing one bit of content. Uh, Correct. So, Correct. Which, which is like, you know, which kind of makes you wonder, maybe that's not the best use of time. Maybe uh, we, we should be learning throughout right. the year. Right. Uh, and just kind of, I mean, that's a great point because I think about all of the times I waited in the elevator in the South tower to either go up to a presentation or for people to go up to your suite to give a presentation to me. And, and a lot of important business was done there. So I don't, I don't mean to minimize that, but maybe you think about this MBA is more of a business transactional meeting sort yeah. of place, but education needs to be thought of in a different light or be delivered in a different way throughout the year. I like that idea a lot because I think, yeah, you can't do it all in one spot space there's just not the time to do it but now through this virtual world you've got a whole lot more flexibility to how you deliver it when you deliver it and it being available all the time versus well i either saw the speaker or i didn't i got some speaker notes or i didn't and i'm i'm kind of at that that's the end of the story uh, it kind of reminds me of you know how the world has changed you know from the days that i had my tv show on thursday at 8 p.m and and i you know i really need to go and watch my <laughs> right. i don't want to miss it and i'm like what I'm going to watch it whenever I want, Correct. wherever I want. Correct. And, and, and it is more of a Netflix on-demand environment. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, we, we, should, we should probably all move to that, which is what we're doing here today yeah. with this podcast as well. So last question before we wrap up, um, um, what are the kind of the two, three companies that you felt adapted really well to this kind of 2020 challenges? What are some uh, role models that uh, as an industry we should look up to? Well, I, I think one, I, I applaud all of the service providers, right? So Connective RX being one of those because, you know, we all had contingency plans to say in a disaster, if you had to leave the buildings and work remotely, how would you do that? And we had great sort of SOPs and documentation. Lo and behold, we all had to do it for real, right? And do it very quickly. And and, and by and large, from what, you know, from our perspective at ConnectRx, but other, uh, other providers as well, is they've been able to hit their SLAs, some cases even exceed them. So I applaud the industry, the service provider industry in general, uh, because of their ability to adapt rapidly, continue to support the important programs that they support and continue to support the patients. So I think as an industry, that was that was great. Um, you know, I, I like where, you know, the stuff we've done um, around sort of mobile and I mean, where help around has been around to say, OK, the, the timing couldn't have been better. Right. So if patients are going to be sort of on their own and are going to need to be connected with and communicated with and educated, what's the best way to go about doing that? And, 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 and a model where you've got a mobile platform and not simply an app that gives, gives the patient what they want via text or can provide them a very flexible mobile experience uh, is, is, is sort of a revolutionary way, in my opinion, to sort of do it. There's been lots of mobile apps that have been out there, and, and by and large, those um, investments have not yielded the kinds of results. Because I think it has been, for the most part, either a one-size-fits-all or it's really not been geared towards specialty pharmacy. So 
you know, it's it's gratuitous to sort of you know uh, loud you on the screen, uh, Yashad. But I think I think what Help Around has done has been really highlighted in in this year because I think it's been it's been great. Uh, and then I, I think just you know pharma in general, I, I also applaud because they've been put in, in an impossible situation. So if I'm a brand manager, right, and and I had a plan for what 2020 was going to be from a commercialization standpoint, that changed in a rapid way, and so I had to really evolve quickly change quickly assess differently than I ever have and we've seen many examples of companies you know do that tremendously well uh, from from AstraZeneca to, to Biogen uh, to, to a couple of others that, that have done that you know have really thought about okay in this environment where a patient needs different kinds of support and physicians need different kinds of support what does that look like what are some services what are some technologies what are some innovations that are different that I may not have considered uh, early in 2020 as part of my 2019 planning, but I've got to figure that out now and I need to figure out quickly and can I roll something out in the next you know, 30 to 60 days. And so I think a lot of the more progressive uh, pharma companies have embraced this change. There's been some that have been kind of, you know, uh, you know the wheels have sort of ground to a halt um, and they're kind of unsure of where to go. But I think for the innovative partners who are willing to you know, take some risks, but also make some change quickly. They, they've seen some tremendous results in a short amount of time uh, because it's just a different environment. And I think they're expecting that the environment in 2021 is going to be very similar to 2020. To leverage these technologies and innovations is only going to increase, and we've got to continue doing that. It helps to keep the stickiness of what we do with patients and providers. Uh, and really, I think that's, that's, that's going to become part of the forefront. So if, if you're not ready to continue to innovate and continue to make changes, if your drug is a self-administered drug, you're really losing an opportunity to drive you know, higher patient demand, drive a better and more comprehensive patient experience. Uh, and I think that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. And so if 2020 was anything, it was really in true fashion the year of the patient uh, yeah. because everything really had to be geared and focused differently to support the patient in a brand new way. Absolutely. Well, Brian, first of all, thank you for the kind words and, and congratulations on everything that uh, the you did at Connective Rx over the past year. Uh, it's time for us to wrap up. Really want to thank you for uh, coming today. And uh, we will share this with people. And I'm pretty sure what's the best way to reach you? LinkedIn or uh, email? LinkedIn is always the easiest. Yeah, LinkedIn is easiest. And I get a lot of uh, requests through there. So just, you know, Brian Haney. Uh, LinkedIn is great. And uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Shai. Awesome. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, you, sir. All right, thanks. Thanks for listening to the Specialty Patient Podcast. And for more information on HelpAround, visit helparound.co.